It's the February 14th, 2020 episode of Weekly Signal's Meltdown, broadcasting from Studio A at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And as always, a carnival barking clown, Mahler, the fake news dog. Good morning, Mahler. Today, we'll be talking about the world's biggest iceberg, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trump's repugnant budget, Nazi architecture, small cannabis farming, and more. But first, would you like a brain implant, Mike? Yes, I would? would. Yes, Nathan. Anything in particular? Sign me up. Where do I go? Really? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Something that has to do with memory and cognitive ability. Something oh. where we could improve. Maybe you tu- want a smart transplant. I want a tune-up. Or implant. Yeah, I need a tune-up. A memory implant. Yeah. Well, it would be bad. Me. An extra little hard drive there. There you go. Something. Yeah, that, yeah exactly. A faster RAM. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that would be helpful. That's a good idea. What do you got, what do you got for me on that? Yeah. From MIT Technology Review, uh-huh. a new implant for blind people jacks directly into the brain. Yeah, it's amazing. Re- researchers or researchers, what do you prefer? Researchers. 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 I don't like that. I like researchers researchers. because you search and And then then you research. research. Researchers successfully bypass the eyes with a device that gives you rudimentary vision. Much earlier research attempted to restore vision by creating an artificial eye or retina. It worked, but a lot of people have damage to the nerve system connecting the retina to the back of the brain. So giving them new eyes, they'd be going, what's up with this? Yeah. Got any blind jokes? No, no, I want to stay on the air as long as yeah. I can. So it's just this blind guy walks into a bar, okay. and then he walks into the door, and then he walks into a table. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Like I said, it worked, this yeah. eyeball thing, but the vast majority of blind people have damage to the nerve system connecting the retina to the back of the brain. Yeah. The brain implant requires brain surgery, and it only lasts for six months because the vision implant isn't approved for longer-term use. Oh. Your body is tr- rejecting this. Right. Thing. I would imagine that, especially yeah. your brain, would of all yeah. the places in your body that would be adverse to foreign objects, that would probably yeah. be top of the list. To find out what kind of vision signal the retina produces, researchers or researchers took human retinas from people who recently died, hooked the retinas up to electrodes, exposed them to light, and measured what hit the electrodes. They also used machine learning to match the retina's electrical output with simple visual inputs. Wow. So you didn't have exactly what things look like, but you had an incredible simulation. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I really am interested in that little process that you just described. It's, just, it's like a Monty Python movie. Yeah. I'm not dead yet, right? That whole bit where they take someone who just died. Yeah. And then they take run this. Take their eyeballs out. Take their eyeballs out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Wait. Not yet. Not yet. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> yes. Okay. In the vision implant they built, a cabled connection runs to a common neuro implant known as the Utah Array. It's not the Michigan Array. Okay. The Utah Array that they put in uh, this vision implant has 100 tiny electrode spikes, each about a millimeter tall. Wow. So this is a small little area we're talking about wow. here. 
uh, they compared it to the little bump on top of a triple A battery. God. So it's a small area, and that little bump has a hundred of these spikes in it. Uh, each electrode can deliver a current to between one and four neurons. When the implant is inserted, the electrodes pierce the surface of the brain. So you have a hundred little spike marks there, hundred little blood drops. Eventually, the vision implant, like the cochlear hearing implant, right. will need to transmit <clears throat> its signal and power wirelessly through the skull to reach the electrodes. God, this is just amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. Well, and hopefully they can get the vision down even better. Right. They just have, like I say, rudimentary right. Uh, right. vision the very right beginning stages of, and there are, I, I imagine there are other devices like this that are online or in in research yeah. uh, to, to provide other services. Yeah. Senses. From Science Daily, researchers or researchers. I like researchers. You like researchers? I like because you're right. They search. And then they and, research. And then they, research. they keep searching. Yeah, exactly. Researchers developed a completely passive solar power desalination system that could provide more than 1.5 gallons of fresh drinking water per hour for every square meter of solar salt water collecting area. That's a pretty good deal there. Yeah. The system could potentially serve off-grid arid coastal areas to provide an efficient, low-cost water source. Now, I'm against these big desalination plants. Yes. I think it's you're going to have a lot of salt in the area. But if it's like a small little community or one person that needs uh, water and they're out near the ocean right. and they need drinking water, this sounds like a, a good way to go here. What and the, and the system that you just described they don't know what to do with the salt. There's a real problem exactly. with the collection of salt, what you just described. When this you have is these different. big units. Yeah, these gigantic units. And the problem with those in the past has been that they're so energy intense yeah. that they don't make sense, that you're using up a lot more energy to, pro to provide the desalinization. This apparently this is different. It makes its own energy. It makes yeah. its own energy. It's amazing. It's an amazing bit of engineering. The system uses multiple layers of flat solar evaporators and condensers lined up in a vertical array and topped with transparent ultralight aerogel insulation. The key to the system's efficiency is the way it uses each of the stages to desalinate the water. At each stage, heat released by the previous stage is harnessed instead of wasted. The solar-powered desalination system can achieve an overall efficiency of 385% in converting the energy of sunlight into the energy of water evaporation. It's like a uh, multi-layer solar still. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like Smokey and the Bandit is what we got here <laughs> with a set of evaporating and condensing components. So they built a still to suck the salt out, actually, is what's going on here. And they're generating power while this is going on. And it's not very expensive. No. A one square meter solar desalination still could meet your daily drinking needs, Mike. Yeah. It could do that. Yeah. And it could uh, serve a family of three for about 100 bucks. They could build one of these. Yeah. 100 bucks. I know. And you're near the ocean and you got fresh drinking water. And again, this is another example of technology that is taking us off of the grid. Solar panels. You don't need to go to a centralized source of, of electricity. 
you can generate electricity independently of that grid. The same could be true here, where you're generating your water supply off the grid. Yeah. And say you own a lot of horses. Right. You could make salt licks. <laughs> okay. See? Yeah. There's a business opportunity right, right there, here, too. Yeah. yeah. From the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation. They're cool. Yeah. The world's biggest iceberg is about to enter the open ocean. Yeah. It's been floating around near Antarctica, but now it's making its way. A68. A68. What a fine name. I couldn't have come up with yeah. a better one myself. A68. B33. <laughs> Bingo. B oh, you got it. Yeah, huh? yeah. Good. Right. Let's see your card. Uh, no. A68, an ice monster that broke free from the Antarctic in 2017, has pushed north to the limit of the Antarctic's perennial sea ice. Right. So it's right there at the edge of Antarctic floating ice areas. It's it's like a giant ice farm, this part down of the world. Down in Antarctica. Down, down in Antarctica. And it's kind of moving its way around the farm. It's going off the farm. It's about to leave the farm, and that's not good. Ain't going to work on Antarctica's farm <laughs> no more. When it calved, the berg had an area close to 2,300 square miles and weighed one trillion tons. That's a lot. Yeah, I'll say <laughs> It has lost very little of its bulk over the past two and a half years. Yeah. A68, or as we like to call it, big ice. Big, <laughs> big ice. Big ice may turn into ice cubes when it reaches the southern ocean's rougher waters. As it drifts, it's going up toward Tierra del Fuego. Yeah. And it's kind of veering off east there. Its keel, as they call it, yeah. or its bottom, was dragging against the bottom of the ocean so floor. So it wasn't getting a whole lot of movement at, no, for a while. No, but apparently the winds and the currents have right. broken it loose, and it's moving northeast. Yes, and it's an immense amount of water. Yeah. So when it when it uh, when it melts, yeah, yeah, potentially an incredible amount of water. Not very good for us. Nope. Yeah. You know, if you live in Newport Beach, I was down on the peninsula a couple yeah, of yeah, days ago. Yeah. If you don't sell your house now, you never will. Yeah, yeah. Mahler, Mahler's a real estate agent down yeah. there. I've seen him down he'll, there. He'll, yeah. he'll sell your home. Oh, yeah. He'll uh, buy, yeah, you want to yeah. buy a home? and yeah. Underwater yeah. real estate, I think, <laughs> is his business. They're calling it the Aqua Farm. Aqua Farm? Yeah, yeah, it's a new development down there on the peninsula. Meanwhile, it was 65 degrees Fahrenheit in Antarctica this week, the hottest Antarctic day on record. 65. Yeah, 65. It was, and this is, these are dumb things to say, and I'm going to say it anyway. It was colder in New York City yeah. than it was in Antarctica. Wow. If this news chills you, may I recommend a donation to KUCI to warm you up? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. From fizz.org. I guess that's how you say it. That's Fizz. See. Fizz, yeah. yeah. Well, you should, if you spell that's it out. It's not F-I-Z-Z. There you go. Now, it's P-H-Y-S dot org, mm -hmm. like physical sciences. Yep. From fizz.org. More than 200 top scientists warn that overlapping environmental crises could tip the planet into global systemic collapse. I hate to say this, Nathan, but this has always been what I assumed would, ha would happen. It's now being talked about. You must be very happy. Well, I'm No, I'm not happy at all. But this idea that these environmental crises are happening independently of one another. Crises. 
crises. Yeah. Did I not say that? You said crises. Oh, okay. Crises. Thank you. Crises are somehow independent. They're just happening by themselves. There's no problem. The methane's in the, well, who cares? But these things are, as we have talked about for now a decade or more, these things are woven together into the tapestry that is our planet. And so these things, it makes sense that they're now coming forward and saying systemic collapse. Systemic collapse. Out of 30 global scale risks, five top the list, both in terms of likelihood and impact. And now the top five crises that could tip the planet into global systemic collapse. Number five. Number five. Number five. Number five. Dwindling stores of Fresh water. Yes. Number five. I think, Num- it be, I think it should be higher on the list, but okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. These are the top five well, all right. crises well, my, that oh could my. tip the planet into global systemic collapse, according to scientists. Yes, yeah. you are correct, sir. Number four, food security. There you go. Oh, now, you don't want secure. that. No, no, no. no. Number three, the decline of self-sustaining ecosystems. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, little little bugs or bumblebees are in apparently bumblebees, are, bumblebees are currently in a what they're calling an extinction spiral right yeah. now. Number two, extreme weather events from hurricanes to heat waves. We know about those. Yes, we do. And the number one crisis that could tip the planet into global systemic collapse: climate change. All right, we've been talking about that for thirty years. You know, but thank God we have a leader who understands the threat. Oh, of absolutely! I'm so encouraged every morning when I wake up and turn on the TV, yeah. hoping to see a scroll at the bottom of my TV set yeah. that says "Trump hospitalized with massive something." Massive something inoperable. Denial. Something inoperable. That's what I'm hoping. Denial. For. Something. Yes. Massive denial. Uh, something inoperable. Yeah. Each of these crises are monumental threats to our civilization. Together, they could bring down the whole house. Yeah. For example, extreme heat waves cause water shortages and food scarcity. And they also speed up global warming by causing the release of planet warming gases from natural sources. So all these things working together, we could fall into a self-perpetuating spiral of global warming. (laughs) Jesus. And we're laughing about it. We're not. I know. This is the The earth is at the outset of a mass extinction event. Only the sixth in half a billion years. It'll be our first, though. Yes. You know, it's my first. I don't know about you, Nathan. I've never been into a really uh, a mass extinction uh, extinction event before. It's kind of exciting. You know. Yeah. I'm wondering what I should wear. (laughs) (laughs) And Uh, it could drive millions of species, or one in eight. Into oblivion. Yeah. Yeah. I think we might be one of those species, too. Nathan. Coming soon to a theater near you. Yeah. yeah. Do we? Uh, From Gizmodo's Earther. Yeah. Gizmodo has Earther. Oh, is and that theirs? Yeah. Okay. The Earther is Gizmodo. Okay. It's one of those deals. All right. The Trump administration's Department of Energy is holding on to nearly $1 billion of funds allotted for a clean energy research and development program. That's from last year's budget. They're holding on to nearly a billion dollars. Right. The Department of Energy's Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy, or EIR as we like to call it, 
ear, e e r e. Yeah, well, that is ear. Ear didn't spend eight hundred and twenty-three million dollars in funding appropriated by Congress last year. They have it. They didn't spend it. Those funds were meant to provide grants and other funding to research methods to boost renewable energy, electric vehicles, and energy efficiency. Daniel Simmons, he's EARS Assistant Secretary, said the department fully intends to utilize its appropriated research funding. That sounds like a way to, how are they going to spend it on? Uh, a border wall? Yeah. It's one of those ways. We're going to fully utilize it, but maybe not in the way that we should. Why do I say that? Simmons was appointed by Trump to lead the office in 2017, and Simmons is a critic of renewables, research, and development. Right. And also, this is counter to what generally happens with these agencies in the federal government. It's been the practice in the past. If you don't spend it, they take it back. The funding source will take it back. So usually these departments, within a certain percentage, spend all their money. Yeah. So this is unusual, especially yeah. at this scale. Yeah. And the other reason I don't trust him is his office canceled a $46 million program to fund solar research and development. Right. They had the money. Right. They right. didn't use it. Right. Last year, Trump's budget proposed cutting the office's funding by 86%. Yeah. That's but, the other part. That's but, the other tell in yeah. this story. Yeah. But Congress, fortunately, ignored the request and in, increased and the funding increased, instead. Right, right. This is probably their way of getting back, not spending the money. Right. This is important stuff that they're researching. And the federal government is the engine of research, the engine of changing the dynamics in the marketplace. They have a huge footprint in determining how markets operate in the future. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9 on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, on Twitter at and Instagram at KUCI FM. Stream us live on TuneIn or go to KUCI.org. <laughs> From the Washington Post, Trump's proposed $4.8 trillion repugnant budget would cut major domestic and safety net programs. Yeah. Trump's repugnant budget would cut Medicare and the Children's Health Insurance Program and also borrow from Medicare, despite Trump's lying about never touching Medicare and Social Security. He said he'd never touch the stuff, and now he's touching it. He said in the State of the Union he wasn't going to do anything. (laughs) And the budget came out the next day yeah. with all of these cuts to Social Security and Medicare. And he forgot. <laughs> he just <laughs> forgot. He would cut the Environmental Protection Agency budget by 26.5% over the next year, cut the Health and Human Services Department by 9%. And remember, Health and Human Services includes the National Institutes of Health and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention which will see a budget cut even as the coronavirus spreads. Yeah. It would cut the Education Department by 8%, the Interior Department by 13.4%. These are important. 
and the Housing and Urban Development Department by 15.2%. They'd receive a cut. The State Department and U.S. Agency for International Development would be cut by 22%. So we're just cutting off ourselves from the rest of the world by doing that. Right. The proposed cuts stand in contrast to proposals by major Democratic candidates to expand environmental, education, and health care spending. The good news is Trump's repugnant budget will be rejected by Congress. So they'll have to haggle over this. He asked for more than he thought he'd get, but nevertheless, it exposes what he really wants. Right. And let's frame that with last year, 2019, the military military budget, the Department of Defense budget, was $686 billion. And that doesn't include veterans. That doesn't include a lot of other parts of what you have to consider as the military-related budget. Yeah. $686 billion. Yeah. And this proposed budget is about $5 trillion. Right. That's a huge chunk of that. Well, and yeah. Trump does want to increase spending for the Department of Homeland Security, increase that, while keeping Pentagon spending mostly flat. That'll be increased a little bit. Yeah. The National Aeronautics and Space Administration budget would increase 12% because Trump wants to go to Mars. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think he should. Yeah? Yeah, I'm all for it. Let's start. If that's what it takes. There's got to be a, a GoFundMe yeah. uh, page for that. Right? I'll set it up right now. Yeah. Yeah. $500 billion? Easy. Easy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we could raise the funds. <laughs> Trump's first budget projected the deficit in 2021 would be $456 billion. Instead, it is projected to be more than double that amount. This $4.8 trillion repugnant budget for 2021 that he just laid out there would represent a $700 billion surge over levels from 2018. Yeah. That's when he came into office. During the last year, President Barack Obama was in office. The deficit was less than $600 billion, but it's grown a whole bunch since then. Where are the Tea Party guys, the tea yeah. baggers? They screaming bloody murder. They were the the end of the republic was nigh because we had these huge deficits. Oh my God, sweet Jesus, we're all going to die. Well, they and now where are they? Well, they got a white president. Yeah. That's, what, That's happened. what happened. Meanwhile, in Tokyo, a pub introduced a robot bartender that can pour a beer in forty seconds. Oh well, yeah, sign me up. Mix a cocktail in a minute. Wow. And chat about the weather. Thank God there's technology I can relate to. It's warm outside. <laughs> wow. It's going to change my life. I'm sweating now. <laughs> can I get you another drink? I like it, mm -hmm. said a uh, mm -hmm. restaurant worker. Mm -hmm. I like it because dealing with people can be a hassle. With this, they just come in and get drunk. <laughs> That sounds like a real friendly that restaurant does. worker, that doesn't is, it? Yeah. That's not Jimmy Buffett. Let me <laughs> just say that. From the Intelligencer, which is part of New York Magazine, yeah. in as much as Earther is part of Gizmodo, Intelligencer, part of New York Magazine. Two days after Senate Republicans acquitted Trump on both counts of impeachment, the Trump administration fired a number of national security officials. European Union Ambassador Gordon Sondland, remember that? Oh, my God. And Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, the national security staffer. They were fired for voluntarily testifying before the House. 
Vindman's twin brother was also fired because they weren't sure which was which. Right, yeah. right. Well, that's right. what mob mobsters do. Yeah. They, they, they always threaten to kill your family. Yeah. Well, that's what a mobster... Well, they couldn't tell the difference. It well, was his that's, twin yeah, brother. That's true. That's just, what are yeah. you going to do? What are you going to do, yeah. That was just for being related, though. But yeah. You met, and, that, no, this is... and this is a guy who was just doing what he was supposed to do, as Kelly said yesterday. As Kelly said. Also, believe it or not, as Bolton said. Yeah. I mean... The, the, well, that's exactly what they're told to do. If you're told to do something that's against our procedure, right. then report that to somebody. That's right. They're trained in the cradle to report an illegal order or the, something that is counter to ethics. Military law. Now the administration is retaliating against Elaine McCusker, yeah. whose nomination for Pentagon controller and chief financial officer has been pulled. Right. He was nominated. Now it's been pulled. And uh, what's especially effed up about this is the reason for the retaliation. Right. McCusker is losing her job because she attempted to follow the law. Yes. Just like Vindman. Yeah. Over the summer, the Office of Management and Budget was trying to hold up aid for Ukraine. The Congress had passed. We know the story. And it was trying to extort Ukraine to investigate Trump's rivals. Emails show McCusker was trying to do everything in her power to give White House officials room to set policy as they saw fit without violating the law. Exactly right. She wasn't putting up a, a barrier. She was just saying, this is the law. Yeah. What else can I tell you? Here's And here's the policy latitude that I can give you in terms yeah. of interpreting the policy, because there is a law on the books that says, because of Richard Nixon, President Nixon, who tried to hold up funding back in the 1960s when he was being impeached, yeah. right? He wanted to punish people by withholding their uh, funding. Yeah. And so Congress passed a law that said, if we pass a law, that's our responsibility. Funding is our responsibility. You cannot hold it up. By law, it has to be spent. Yeah. So this is what she was, this is the law she was operating under. Yeah, and she was just trying to tell them that. Yeah. That's, that's all. It's, it's the law. We have, yeah. to, we have to spend it. it yeah. Congress has allocated it for these purposes. <sighs> so then, so she... Thank God we have a sensible president, Thank Mike. God. Yeah. You know, he we, wants to go to Mars. That's go to Mars, Donald Trump, go fund me, write your checks <laughs> to Mike Kaspar. Meanwhile, a hunting convention auctioned off a trip to shoot Sitka black-tailed deer in Alaska with accomplished conservationist Donald Trump Jr. Is that is a howl of laughter, I believe. Yeah, I, 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 a mocking a howl. A mocking howl from from the hill. From the hill. Senate Republicans blocked an effort by Democrats to unanimously pass three election security-related bills. Election security-related bills. Election security. Yeah. We're having an election coming Apparently up. Apparently that's a partisan it, issue now. Yeah. Things, things have been tampered yeah, with yeah. very recently. Uh, yeah. We're having trouble with, I, with different sorry. systems in the election. Sorry. We're, we want security there. Yeah. Republicans don't want it. Wish we could help you. Democrats tried to get consent to pass two bills that require campaigns to alert the FBI and Federal Election Commission about foreign offers of assistance, as well as legislation to provide more election funding and ban voting machines from being connected to the Internet. Yeah. That makes good sense to me. Totally makes good sense. Absolutely. But defender of foreign interference, Senator Marsha Blackburn, she likes foreign interference. She apparently does. Yeah. She is from Tennessee. Tennessee, 
She opposed each of the requests, and the way it works there in the Senate, any one senator can ask for unanimous consent to pass a bill, but one senator can also object and block the request, right. which she did. Let me explain that for real quickly. Unanimous consent is, is essentially saying you don't have to go on the record as voting for it. So you're giving the Republicans an opportunity for political cover. Yeah. Because if the White House is upset with you for voting for it, theoretically, they wouldn't know who voted or didn't vote for or against the law. That, yeah. that gives you cover. But Blackburn wouldn't let them do that because there are probably a lot of Republicans who do want to pass this, yeah. but the White House doesn't want them to pass it. House Democrats have passed at least 10 election-related bills, including a sweeping ethics and election reform measure but the Republican-controlled Senate has stonewalled them all. Yeah. Yeah. America is now 266 days away from the 2020 election, and Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has yet to take any concrete steps to protect our elections from hacking or foreign interference, yeah. Democrat Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon said. Yeah. You know, he actually didn't have to say it because it's obvious. It's obvious, but I don't think a lot, a lot of people know this. Right. No. That for the past two or three years, ever since we knew that Russia had at least tried to sway our election, and that we've known that paper is the best way to do a ballot. Yeah. We have all these computers out there. They're not very secure. Right. We've tried to secure the elections. This doesn't mean that we want them to be Republican elections or right. Democratic elections. Right. We just want them to be fair elections. We want an accurate accounting of yeah. who voted for who. And if you think your vote is being tampered with, that makes people not want to vote. Right. And it sounds like that's what the Republicans want. And it really strikes at the heart of what a democracy is. If you don't have confidence in the vote you're casting being counted yeah. and being tabulated, then what is the value of democracy? What does your vote matter if you don't believe that it's actually going to count? Right you <clears throat> are, right you are. From Architectural Record... The White House is considering rewriting the guiding principles of federal architecture issued in 1962. Trump's White House wants to ensure that the classical architectural style shall be the preferred and default style for new and upgraded federal buildings. Entitled Making Federal Buildings Beautiful Again, Jesus. the draft order argues that the Founding Fathers embraced the classical models of Democratic Athens and Republican Rome for the Capitol's early buildings because the style symbolized the nation's self-governing ideals. Well, it also was the prevailing architectural style, and they hadn't come up with steel and glass yet, and this is the way they built this buildings. This is such a, yeah. this is one of those stories that it, you just really have to shake your head. And Well, wonder. the draft announces modern architecture much like the Nazis did in yeah. the 30s and the 40s. Right. The Nazis also loved neoclassicism. They loved that sort of Athenian Greek look. That's not to say we're being run by Nazis. Are we? Are we? Is this not also kind of that antebellum look as well? Isn't that sort of what this looks like? That sort of southern, well, it's the old columns south and, columns. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice in some cases. Let's do that. Uh, but on the other hand, if you ask workers the one thing they want when they're at a job, they will say to be able to see outside. They want a window. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes, those, yeah. those big blocky buildings yeah. don't have right. windows. Right. The other thing is, is it's just a more efficient way to build. Yeah. It usually goes with the area a little bit more, and it can survive earthquakes a yeah. lot better. Steel and glass. I know it's not the prettiest thing, 
But honestly, I'm not that fond of the old capital style buildings. Well, I guess what triggered this was there was a building that apparently was built, the Eisenhower Memorial, uh-huh. that was a Frank Geary design. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that apparently set off yeah. this. They wanted the Reichstag. Yeah, exactly. They wanted, yeah, yeah dare. Bring Albert Speer along. Yeah, yeah. In protest, the American Institute of Architects wrote that it strongly opposes uniform style mandates for federal architecture. Architecture should be designed for the specific communities that it serves, reflecting our nation's rich, diverse places, thought, culture, and climates. Architects are committed to honoring our past as well as reflecting our future progress, protecting the freedom of thought and expression that are essential to democracy. Yes, sir. From Los Angeles Times, an op-ed by Michael Polson. The path that agriculture in the U.S. took has resulted in a highly consolidated industry that is debt-financed, built on underpaid labor, and dependent on exemptions to environmental protections. The result is declining rural populations with lower life expectancies, higher rates of poverty, and a mode of agriculture that drives climate change and biodiversity loss. With cannabis, you know that stuff, Mike. I've heard of it. You've you've, you've, uh, touched it? I have. Have you trimmed it? I have done that you as well. It? Yeah, have it was. You, it was a, have a, you ingested it? It was a class project. I was <laughs> I was forced to tr- trim it, and then they made me ingest it. With cannabis, California has a chance to create an alternate model. Prohibition blessed us with an unintended outcome, an agricultural sector consisting of small farms. Yep. When passed in 2016, Proposition 64 explicitly aimed to build on and support small and medium-sized businesses, which would be the backbone of the cannabis cultivation sector. Amen. Small farmers are better able to sustain rural communities and healthy environments, but small cannabis farming is being undermined. Although Californians voted to give smaller-sized farms five years to establish themselves before bigger farms were permitted... The state undercut this by allowing a single grower to stack or obtain multiple small farm permits, a loophole that allows larger operations to get in the game early. If we want to ensure that small farmers become legal and diminish the allure of the underground market, we could prohibit the practice of permit stacking and cancel the insurance of large farm permits in 2023 as specified by law. And I understand small, you spend your whole life being underground. Yes, they've been practicing for decades. It's hard to get into the system, to get your mind into the system. But I think the state could be proactive with this and make it better for all of us. Couple that with minimum prices set by state government and we could ensure support for small farmers, farm workers, and environmental stewardship. If we do nothing to help the position of small farmers now, eventually the price of cannabis will collapse, the industry will consolidate, and we will recreate the conditions of nearly every other agricultural sector in the U.S. Small farmers will disappear, and the remaining producers will become dependent on finance debt, resulting in downward pressure on wages, working conditions, and environmental protection. Et cetera, et cetera. And this was always my concern with the legalization of marijuana for recreational use in California, is that suddenly R.J. Reynolds would appear on the scene, or someone like them, Philip Morris, you name it, would come in and start doing exactly what you just described. Yep. 
And finally, scientists found that the jackass penguin. <laughs> no, chin strap. Jackass penguin. Okay. What do you mean chin strap? There is such a thing as a chin strap penguin. I really? thought you just misspoke. That's all. No. Scientists have found that the jackass penguin. What is a chin strap penguin? I'm just telling you, I just read about the chin strap penguin. And they're diminishing population somewhere. I forgot where it is now. Oh, the chin strap. Do yeah. they have a chin strap? Do they wear Apparently a they look like they have a chin strap. I assume oh. that's part of their... Scientists of... found that the jackass All penguin, right, the jackass. not the chin strap penguin. All right, the jackass the penguin. The jackass penguin, which lives in South Africa and brays like a donkey in distress. He goes... Uh, uh. Mm-hmm. You should see it. You can go online, just type in jackass penguin. <laughs> Scientists, they, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they found the jackass penguin follows the same speech pattern as humans. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.